Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com again, and it's now Wednesday, uh, May 21st, otherwise known in history as the day Wayne Tinker will be formally introduced as the next head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, meaning every power conference job in the country is currently filled, which seems uh, like a good time for me and Jeff Porzello and Matt Norlander to sit down and talk it out uh, for a few minutes uh, on this May afternoon. Fellas, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I just really, right. I just really wanted a an excuse to uh, to speak with you, and I was trying to hang it on Wayne Tinkle or anything we need to hang it on. I just missed your voices. Yeah, you too, That's man. Fair. A man named Tinkle is coaching the Beavers, so it's a big day in college basketball, and uh, it's worthy uh, of a special podcast. Oh, it's wow. worthy of it. Well, what's what's you know. Everyone's suddenly discovering that there's a man named Wayne Tinkle. So uh, we oh, like all the Tinkle jokes came oh, out. Oh God! Like we've known we've known about Tinkle for years yeah. now. I've known about yeah. Tinkle for years, but it is true. Like the other night, I guess we were watching the Billboard Awards, and I was writing that it looked like Wayne Tinkle was going to get this job, and Kelly. Um, who's the woman who lives with me? She, uh, <laughs> she, she, uh, she looks. She's looking over my shoulder, and I always get nervous when she's looking over my shoulder at my computer screen, right? Because I never really know exactly what I'm going to be looking at. So I'm, I, I sort of have like a, yeah. a, a reflex thing, like I, I automatically like sort of pull away. And she yeah. was like, "Let me ask you one question." And I'm like, uh, "God, well, you just never know, Norlanda. You'll learn what, what, what kind of stuff are you looking at, man? You just never, you never know." I reflexively pull away from my wife when she looks at my computer. <laughs> hey, Norlander, you'll get there. You'll get there. So um, she looked up. She said, she said, hold on a second. I said, what? She said, there's a, a guy whose coach is basketball. His name's Tinkle. I said, yeah, his name's Tinkle. Wayne Tinkle. She's like, that's his real name. I was like, yeah, that's his real name. And she started laughing. I'm like, really? If you're the, like, you're supposed to be mature, like mother of two, college educated woman, and you're the one laughing at Wayne Tinkle's name. So I imagine, I imagine Wayne's been going through this his whole life. Yes, I saw the hashtag Time to Tinkle uh, on Twitter, which was – and by the way, the voted the sexiest man in college basketball this past winter. Does that make any sense to anybody? He beat beat me out for that. With all due respect to Wayne Tinkle, who I I like, uh, is he really the sexiest man in college basketball? That doesn't make sense to me. Who do you think is is the most sexiest man, Parrish? Fred Hoiberg. All right. Is it wrong that I have a very quick answer yeah, for that, that question? Really quick. You didn't even think about that. You're Fred Hoiberg. I don't think I needed to think about it. I don't uh, think I needed Jay, to think about all it. All right, hold on. Let's let's just real quick here. Uh, uh, Hoiberg, you'd have Jay Wright top five. Yeah, Jay Wright. Easy, sexy, easy. Uh, who Super else sexy. Just just coaches here. Let's let's fill up the top five legitimately right now. Okay. Uh, Hoiberg, um, Jay, Jay Wright. Wright. Um. Oh, I'm gonna need geez. to. I'm gonna need to look at leagues. I'm gonna need to Anthony look. Grant's pretty chiseled. Anthony Grant is sexy. I think. Yeah, he is. He's. Okay. I think you have a point there. Um, he's put together. Anthony Grant is like you ever like yeah. that's, what, that's why he coaches without his coat because you would too if you look like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same Form reason. Fitting shirts that, if that you were like cut up like him. Yeah. Ooh, Shaka smart. Is Shaka sexy? Uh, is he top five sexy? I don't know. I mean, we, we're 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 rolling off some studs here. I know. Uh, oh man. So we got it. We got three of our five. We got. I want to. I want to actually talk this out. I want to get down to a five here. Well, wanna... we're we're working on it right now. I'm going through the leagues. Um, go through the leagues. I really am. Can't be anyone over sixty. Hey, don't. Why not? Yeah. Do you... Why you got to be an ageist, man? Yeah. Oh, don't discriminate. Um, is Kevin Ollie? I mean, he's in shape. I don't find Kevin Ollie sexy. You yeah, don't. I don't think he's one of the top five sexiest. <laughs> one of the top five sexiest. 
Um, uh, is John Gross sexy? I don't. I don't know. Is he? I would take. I would take if you're looking for. I would take like Tony Bennett over those two. Tony like, Bennett. Tony, Bennett, Tony yeah, Bennett's on the list. There's no question. Cut, like, that's, that's very yeah. easy. Tony Bennett's on the list. Tony Bennett is definitely on. Can't the list. believe we almost forgot about him. I, I was. I had him in the holster. Do, do, do you put Andy Andy Enfield on the list? By proxy, I think. <laughs> I don't know. By himself, I don't know if he is. I mean, if you give if you take his entire resume, Tim Miles. And awkwardly sexy, I think. Yeah, I guess that might be the case. Oh, what about uh, what about the young Patino? What about Rich? I thought about yeah. Richard. I don't find him sexy. Really? Yeah. No, I think he's just benefiting from being young. Wow. Is is uh, is losing almost a hundred pounds sexy? Because Ed Cooley is, is I, clearly in. I think in Ed Cooley is sexy. Mark Gottfried. I don't think Mark Gottfried's. Sexy. I mean, Reggie Theus has that that. He's kind got of swagger about him. I don't. Yeah. I don't find. See what happens when we try to do an off-season podcast. Well, we know. We know that Chris Mack can't possibly be on the list, and I think that we can all agree on. That, Is right? Derek Kellogg sexy? He's sexy in like 1991, I think, with that haircut. Oh <laughs> wow, Lord <laughs> Jesus! No, Derek's a good guy. I just, he, hey, listen, he's got the courage to still rock the Riley look, so that does that he does. Called him sexy 23 years ago. Let's see here. Let's That's see all. here. I'm going through Danny Manning. Is Danny Manning sexy? Uh, you don't find Danny Manning sexy? Not, not like oh. Anthony Grant. Yeah. When I think of sexy, I don't think of Danny Manning. I'll say that. That's fair. I, I don't either. And, oh, you know what? We have a we have a dark horse newbie candidate that I think would be uh, encroaching the top five or close to it, Wojo at Marquette. Possibly sexy, but I think also benefiting from being young. Okay. I, think, I, th- I think... So you, 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 don't like young, you don't like young people. Oh, I'm for young people. Like, uh, like I'm for young people. I'm just, I think you are grading on a curve, and that curve is young. I think you're giving more credit to youth than, than maybe youth deserves. All right, fair enough. So what do we uh, come well, out with? i got to write this down real quick. we got Jay Wright. we got Tony Fred Bennett. Hoiberg. Hoiberg, Bennett. Fred Hoiberg. Anthony Grant. Anthony Grant. Grant. And we're looking for that fifth. We've, we've thrown a bunch out there. It's very difficult to get the fifth. Ah, oh, man. Is Archie Miller? Is Archie Miller sexy? Oh, well, I was thinking Archie or Sean. I think Richard Bettino is sexier than both of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is. I'll been, throw uh, I'll throw Richard Pitino on it. You know, All right. toss him on there. We'll let him. We'll you, let, you know who might? You know who might actually be that fifth? Michael White, Louisiana Tech. Michael this is a White. Face could, a lot of face a lot of people don't know, but if he was at a major school, I think we'd be talking about him a little bit yeah. more. I, I think we've got a clear cut top four. Yeah. We got a final four. I think we've got a. Let's just call it the final four. Let's not let's not stress out. Final, final four. The final four of handsome. There we Jay go. Wright, Tony Bennett, Fred Hoiberg, and Anthony Grant. Okay, well we've kept you long enough. I really do appreciate you guys <laughs> listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. We'll be back later on this off season to break down something else. <laughs> what? Are, okay, so oh, the coaching man. the coaching carousel is done now, right? So, uh, what do you guys we make? Hope, a, we hope there are still two NBA. Yeah, jobs. there could be some NBA jobs. Yeah. There could be some NBA jobs. I think that's probably true. Um, but if I were guessing at this point, I would guess that we're done. I would guess that none of these guys are going to take uh, the NBA jobs that will be offered to them. So um, you surprised. job looks a little more attractive now, though. It sure does. Let me ask you, are you surprised that we haven't? I honestly thought college guys would jump to the NBA this year. Uh, the idea that it's May 21st and that hasn't happened, does that surprise you guys at all? A little bit. I, I said there was there was so many jobs open, and you know it's it seemed like it was time for at least one of these guys to make the jump. I mean, we've seen Hoiberg kind of associated with 
pretty much every open job. I thought Izzo, he's kind of complained about a couple of different college things. I thought maybe he would make the jump. Um, and then, you know, the Knicks and Billy Donovan always seemed like a, you know, a, a kind of a match that would fit, and it doesn't seem to be happening. So I, I'm kind of surprised that nobody uh, made the leap. I'm not ready to say that we're out of the woods with this yet. It does seem like it's not going to happen, and that would be great for the college game if its best coaches stayed. Um, but we have three, like the Lakers, Knicks, and Cavs. Those are the open ones still, right? Okay, let's start for a second. If the Lakers offered Fred Hoiberg the job, I think he would probably take it. Yes. If it, I think Fred would have taken Golden State had they offered. So I don't think necessarily – sometimes it gets confused. Like, oh, well, these guys really want to be in college. I'm not sure that's true. They just really don't want to take a bad NBA job. Yeah. So if the Lakers – I think if the Lakers offered John Calipari, he would take the job. I think the moment John so. Calipari stood up and said, I'm not going to be the Lakers' next head coach, known, right. is the moment he knew that yeah. he was not going to be the Lakers' next head coach. Like, he already knew, hey, we're not going that direction. So um, Cleveland, I think, is intriguing now. You're talking Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie Irving, you know, paired with the number one pick, with the idea of maybe bringing LeBron back someday. Which I, I don't buy. And someday, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. It just seems weird that LeBron would go back there. Yeah, I, I never really thought that had any legs to it, but it seems but like people, everyone's people still about exactly. It, yeah. Everyone still talks about that. But even without that, when you get the one pick, you got Kyrie. You have a nice little younger type team there. Uh, you know, that's an intriguing enough situation where I wouldn't fault really almost any college coach that was in a position to be asked if they wanted to take it because there is a lot of promise there. But the overall, I know we're going to get into the lottery here, the overall uh, uncertainty with that top pick and what Cleveland wants to go with. Because the one thing is, like, if they ever had any realistic hope or any sort of idea that LeBron would be in the picture to come back, well, the one person that you probably shouldn't take would be Jabari because only in a relative way is his body type and game resembling LeBron. So you'd have two of kind of the same guy, whereas LeBron would be better complimented by Embiid or Wiggins in that kind of situation. See, I think so that you, matters none. Because Le- you LeBron, don't think? Okay. No, because LeBron can play like five different positions. Like he can. He, he's really the one guy in the world that could play anywhere on the court. And so I, I wouldn't let that I, – I just know this. If you talk to people who know LeBron well – or who are around the people who know LeBron well, they will tell you that the Cleveland thing will happen at some point. Not, yeah. not, maybe, not maybe not this offseason, because I don't know, you know, if you win three straight championships in Miami, how you just walk away from that. I'd be surprised. But they do think that he'll, he'll head back that way one day. Either way, I think the Cleveland job is a pretty interesting job right now, right? So, but um, well, more interesting than it was before last night. And then you've got some some possibilities like Memphis could open. You know, like yeah, I, we, yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have said that three days ago, but I, I think what so is now, going on down there, man? It is a mess of a mess. And like three days ago, um, you know, they, it was smart guys, like minded guys, all running the franchise. Business side of stuff was really going smoothly. The the basketball side of stuff was going smoothly. They had won over, um, you know, any skeptics that that were created after removing Rudy Gay or removing Lionel Hollins or changing ownerships. And it just blows up. I, th- I you know, without getting too detailed, uh, on an eye on college basketball podcast, I think that, um, I think they might just have a volatile young kind of crazy owner who's just like being volatile and kind of crazy. I mean, I think it is, I think it really is that simple at this point. Um, the stories that I've heard over the past 24 hours concerning Robert Parra, who is the 36 year old billionaire owner, are pretty wild, like wild hmm. stuff. 
Like, just like, not like racist stuff or anything like Donald Sterling, but just like, yo, man, is that really the way your mind works? You know, re- do you really think that's the way to run a basketball organization? Just some, some crazy stuff. So Memphis could open, or there's some thought that, you know, because Thibodeau doesn't have a good relationship with the Bulls, that, um, that, that the, the Grizzlies could maybe try to trade for Tom Thibodeau. And then the Bulls' is, uh, job is open. And then Hoiberg makes a lot of sense there yeah. for a variety of reasons. So I don't think we're done, but I am kind of surprised that uh, we've reached a point, you know, this date without having uh, a college guy make the jump to the NBA. Because if you would have asked me uh, for over-under college guys jumping by May 21st, I would have said under. Somebody's going to take a job by then. Not happened. So, um, so that's interesting. Um, so we have, I mean, Tinkle at Oregon State is kind of, it's not uh, a big hire by any means. But that, had we talked since Robinson, we haven't talked since Robinson even got fired, which kind of came out of nowhere. So he goes there. Oregon's kind of had a big, you know, couple of past couple of weeks here between that They've and been the, the epicenter of the college basketball really, world. In a weird way, they, they really have. Well, let's start with the Oregon State thing. I mean, it's fine, right? I mean, like, you know, you can if you're going to rip a Oregon State hire, you're, like, spending a lot of time that you don't need to be spending. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's Oregon State. It's a bad... They haven't been in the NCAA tournament literally since Gary Payton played point guard for them. Which is just unfathomable. Which is just man. a wild thing. You would think you just luck into it at some point, exactly. right? Uh, no. Okay, so so it, that's the job. Now, you know, you could argue whether you should have hired Damon Stoudemire instead of uh, Wayne Tinkle or or um, you know, Eric Musselman instead of Wayne, whatever you want to do. But my, at the end of the day, my biggest gripe is they, they waited two months to do it. Like, that's, that's kind of a, my biggest complaint about Yeah, I just thing. don't understand it. Like, I don't understand yeah. that. I don't understand why yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand how a lot of these universities, these 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 big athletic departments, operate. Like it's nonsensical to me. And and but but whatever, you know. So Wayne will be fine, or he won't be fine. You know, whatever. You know, he'll probably be about as good as they could get. Um, the situation at Oregon to me is uh, way more interesting because. I'm not sure that's actually over now. Like I am, you know, I know that they held a press conference. I guess it was a couple of Fridays ago, and they they sort of covered for, or at least presented a cover theoretically for Dana Altman. Um, but but my understanding of that situation is is not everybody on that campus is on the same page, and the idea that it's 100% certain. Uh, that Dana Altman will be the head coach at Oregon when this season starts. Again, if you're asking for a prediction, I think probably so. But I don't think it's 100% done. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty ugly situation there, don't you guys think? Yeah, super ugly. Um, they're, you know, Altman is a, uh, he's a guy that's been around forever. A lot of people don't realize he's got more than 500 wins, and what he's done in Oregon has been impressive considering the wild thing about Altman's record real quick uh is that he's only had one NBA player Arslan Kazimi who no one knows and yet he's continually been good despite all this transfers down that was really the identity of Altman at Oregon but now with this it really puts a a huge cloud over what happened there with the because the police report itself I mean anyone listening that either read it or skimmed it I mean the stuff inside of it is pretty uh pretty gruesome and, and honestly nauseating to read. I, I couldn't get through a lot of it. And the timeline on it, there is a lot of inconsistency still. GP wrote a column, wrote, I think, two or three things on the site about how this really doesn't 
add up all the way because either Altman's either lying, which is totally possible, or he was willfully ignorant of information in terms of, okay, you've told me that we've had players on our team that are being investigated uh, in a police matter. Altman doesn't seek to find out who those players are in a 13-man locker room. He doesn't want to know what happened. This is in leading up to the NCAA tournament. In a lot of ways, it's it's kind of impossible to believe that Altman knew that that could eventually backfire on him. So yeah, I think there is still something of a cover-up there. And uh, there have been protests, numerous ones on campus. I don't think that news has really bloomed nationally. But um, yeah, it doesn't feel like a story that's still fully complete as much as maybe Altman and the administration would want it to be. I'll go to the word that you just used, which is impossible. I've talked to countless college coaches about this over the past couple of weeks. You know, when I wrote that column, I had a, a, a few... People, different people text mes- message me or call me or whatever. And so I'm, I'm hashing this out with, with other college coaches. And I'm not talking about guys who have an ax to grind with Dana because I don't really know if anybody has an ax to grind with Dana. Like, my under- like I like Dana. Uh, I, I've, I've known him since, you know, for, for a long, long time, and I've always liked him. Um, I don't know that Dana's the type of guy who has a bunch of inju- in, uh, enemies in, in the coaching circles, right? So this isn't like people lining up to kill Dana Altman. But I will tell you without exception, without exception, every single coach I've spoken to about this situation says it is impossible to believe that Dana Altman genuinely didn't know what players were involved and what they were accused of doing. In fact, to a man, I talked to coach, like, because I, I, you know, when you write a column where I, you know, the column I wrote, I, I took him to, t- I basically called him a liar, you know, yeah. and, and, and so when you're going to write something like that, you want to make sure, you know, I don't know if people remember, but I, that, that news conference was on a Friday afternoon. I didn't write about it till Saturday, late morning, Saturday. Some of that is because I, you know, I, I had, was, I had other things going on on Friday night. And, but, but most, a lot of it was I wanted to talk to people first and just make sure you know, okay, is there anything I'm missing here? Is there any, like, a blind spot? And without exception, the people I talked to before I typed a word and the people I talked to subsequently say there is no way to genuinely believe that Dana Altman didn't know what his players were accused of and, and, and which players were involved, which is the official Dana Altman story. Like, that's right. the story. I just didn't know who was involved, and I didn't find out until later, and blah, blah. Like, if that's his story, that story is unbelievable. That is what every other coach has told me, okay? He would have been better off. And this is what – because I thought about this a lot. I actually got into a little bit of a Twitter back and forth with somebody from the Oregon Athletic Department, and they were like, listen, are you trying to say – I said, I'll tell you what I'm trying to say because this is what I'm saying. I find the story as presented unbelievable. I just do not I, – I cannot swallow that story. And so I, I wonder if Dana wouldn't have been better off saying this. Listen, I, I was made aware that our players were accused of something, something that's serious, as you all know now. I brought them in because I immediately found out who they were because why wouldn't I know? That's crazy to think I wouldn't. And I brought them in, and they were all adamant that they, this is not how it went down, that this was not sexual assault, this was not rape, and that they were innocent. And so at that point, while the police are investigating, I've got three young men sitting in front of me who I brought to this campus, who I trust, and who are telling me they, they didn't do what they're being accused of doing. And I am asked at that point to, to make a decision. Do I punish them, and by extension our team, based on allegations that they're telling me aren't true and that there's no investigation yet to back them up. It's merely one young woman's word against three players who I know. Do I punish them, which is going to punish our team? Or 
Do I let them play, try to keep it as quietly as possible to protect their reputations, and then let the police do their job? What I chose to do is let the police do their job and operate as normally. Now, after we got the police report and all the investigation was done, well after the NCAA tournament and basketball season were behind us, I realized that whether my players sexually assaulted anybody or not, they conducted themselves in a way that was embarrassing to this university, and so we are moving on without them. Uh, and so you can say that I made the wrong decision when I made it, and you can even question my motivation, but I'm explaining to you why I felt it was best to operate under normal circumstances until I knew from that investigation that the police conducted without our interference what we were actually being accused of here. You know, as somebody who would then be asked to respond to that, I would I would go, you know what? I can sort of understand that. I can sort of get that point of view. You should be a publicist. I really think I that should. Was good. That I was think good. that was pretty good, right? Yeah. So if Dana, if that's the story Dana Altman delivers, I'd go, yo, Dana, your players are... I, they're, okay, there could be two reactions to that, right? You could just take the point, hey... That sounds great. I don't care. If your players are accused of sexual assault, they sit down until this stuff is figured out. Period. All right? Or you could say, you know what, Dana? Clearly, in hindsight, you made the wrong decision because your players should not have been playing because they were accused of some pretty bad things. And even the stuff they admit to is not the type of stuff you want um, happening with people, rep student athletes representing the university. But I could also say, you know, but I understand. Like, I get that. That's actually a reasonable point of view. Maybe not the point of view I share, but a reasonable point of view, and I get why you might have that point of view. But when you try to stand up there and say that you, didn't, you couldn't discipline before the NCAA tournament because it took you 11 days to even find out who was involved in, 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 with the allegations, forget that the allegations were, were legit or, or not, that you didn't even know which three players were involved before the NCAA tournament, that is a lie. Or, or it is you, it is you perp going way out of your way to not find out, which I think is even more troubling. Right, yeah. I just think no matter what the story is, he comes off bad with the story he told. No matter what the story is, the story he presented. Because that was yeah. a lot of the, you know, well, maybe we don't know the whole story. That's what I got from some people. Well, you don't know the whole story. Well, you know what? I, I called Dana. He didn't want to talk. Called the athletic director. He didn't want to talk. I, and then you, you are, you know, you're Dana Altman. You're standing in front of a black, you know, uh, sheet with a microphone in front of you. You can tell whatever story you want to tell. The story he chose to tell is, forget me, it is not a story that literally any basketball coach in the country that I've talked to buys. Nobody buys that story. And so you're either lying or, or the story's true. And the only way the story's true is if you went way out of your way to not find out what your, quote, sons, uh, members of your, quote, family uh, had been accused of. I mean, that's the point I tried to make, which is awful, which is the point I tried to make, like, in the column. Like, coaches always talk about their players are, hey, I, they, they, this is part of my, they, these kids are my family. They're, 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 I treat them like my sons. You know, I, I'm, the, mm -hmm. I'm the default father figure in a lot of these cases. And so just imagine, fine, those are your sons, fine. Now, imagine a cop knocks on my door and says, Mr. Parrish, your son has been accused of something, but I can't tell you what, and I can't tell you which of your sons. You really think there's any yeah. scenario under which you just say, okay, I appreciate you stopping by. No, it, at first you go, no, man, you are going to tell me what they've been accused of. You are going to tell me who's involved. Like, don't, you're not going to leave me hanging like that. Or at the very least, you gather your sons, in this case, your basketball team in a locker room, and you go, hey, I know some of you have been accused of something. Who are you? 
You don't have to stand up in front of the locker room if you don't want to. I'm going to be in my office in a minute. Send me a text message. We'll meet somewhere and talk. There is 100,000 different ways to figure out which of your players were accused of something. And the only way you don't figure it out is if you intentionally go out of your way to not figure it out. And if that's the case, I think that's a bad look. Right. And so the lesson learned in part here, or maybe it's not learned, is that, you know, for a long time, I think coaches have thought that if they didn't know certain information, whether it's in something like this um, or with cheating, with getting a player by all sorts of means, by simply choosing not to know and having some willful negligence or ignorance to it, that they could be saved. Does this situation reinforce that idea if this is the story that Altman's going with, even if Altman's contemporaries know that it's a lie or that it's not believable? As we sit right now, Dana Altman faces no punishment whatsoever, not a fine, not sitting out an exhibition, not missing one recruiting day, none of that. So the message Oregon is sending here, and I do want to, as we're talking about this, yes, the charges were dropped, but all the players were kicked off the team. The police report was was clear in what had happened there and the players did admit to being around this girl this alleged victim so there's you know there's no sort of oh the charges were dropped uh you guys are blowing this all out of proportion i don't think that's the case whatsoever but my greater question is you know isn't this sending kind of a miserable message that if coaches are willfully ignorant of this kind of stuff they think that it could save their job when in reality some sort of punishment really should be the reasonable reaction well that's always been the reality of college basketball being a head coach i mean um on a very different level, and I'm talking rules violations instead of rape allegations, but Jim yes. Calhoun survived the same thing. Same mm-hmm. deal. Jim, Jim Calhoun was, um, you know, created an environment of plausible deniability as it related to Nate Miles. Nobody in this world believes that Jim Calhoun didn't play a role in illegally recruiting Nate Miles to Connecticut. No reasonable person believes that, uh, but he created an environment of plausible deniability sacrificed some assistance, and he went on to to win another national championship. So this has always been the way to go. I just think that when it's rules violations, you know, different people feel different ways about the NCAA rules to begin with. You know, there are some people who just do not care. Like, oh, wow, so Nate Miles got a free (laughs) cell phone? Like, who cares, right? Like, there are a lot of people who have that opinion. Um, But uh, nobody, uh, no no normal human has that opinion about sexual assault allegations. I mean, that's somebody's daughter, you know, that's somebody's that's somebody's sister. That's somebody's granddaughter. And and um, and and so when when you hear that a young woman is accusing three of your players of something like that, again, it's simply unbelievable to 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 try to comprehend that a head coach would not know at the very least. How about this? Say, I didn't know all the details. But don't tell me you didn't know who was involved. Like, I just can't. And that's why I wrote the column. And, and like, you know, like, again, I like Dana. And I imagine I'll bump into him at some point. And I imagine he's going to, like, be pissed off. But I don't care. Like, I'm on the right side of this. I take comfort in being on the right side of if you genuinely did. I just don't believe you. How about that? I'll keep it very simple. The story you tell is a story I can't believe. And, I, and, 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 and I'll take it a step further. The story he told on that day. Now, maybe someday a story will change. But the story he, he trotted out there is a story that nobody who understands the dynamics of being a head basketball coach at the high major level, nobody can understand or believe that story. It's the same for his story about Brandon Austin. Well, that's the other thing. Like, come on. Everyone knew that, you know, what what had happened. And even before the story came out in in the Wall Street Journal, they knew what 
was going on at Providence. And for him to say that we didn't ask enough questions, it just sounds ridiculous. It, it is either like, so you're one of two things here, right? And then we'll move on. But it, it is one of two things. It's either you're lying. Okay. So you're, you're a liar. You're publicly lying about this very ugly situation. It's either that. I'm not saying it is that. It's either that or you are completely reckless in the way you're running your basketball program. Yeah. There is no in between. All right. So you, I'll let you pick. I'll let you pick. You're either lying or you're completely reckless and irresponsible with the way you're running your basketball program. You can choose what you are, but given the, given the facts that we know at this point, given the stories that you've told publicly, not me, not the stories I've told about you or somebody else has told about you, the story you trotted out there, you've got to pick between one of those two things because you ain't, you ain't anything but one of those two things, and that's a bad situation. And, and keep in mind, what I'm telling you right now, my opinion, um, I, I, my understanding is that opinion is an opinion shared uh, by some people of power on the Oregon campus, which is why, you know, to sort of get into this, I, I said I'm not certain that that story is over. I, if you ask me to take $100,000 and bet it, I would bet that Dana Altman is the coach at Oregon next season. Um, but I don't think it's a 100% certain uh, bet. Uh, it, it's shifting gears here. Um, we did have other coaching news uh, over the past week, and that's the idea that Kevin Ollie's about to sign a $3 million contract. Uh, with Connecticut. I think we all knew he would get paid or either jump to the NBA after winning a national championship. At this moment, it looks like he's going to get paid. $3 million for Kevin Ollie. To think he was an assistant coach. Interim. Uh, <laughs> and then an interim. And then now, like one, like one of the top, I think that probably makes him top five, six coaches in America. Yep. It's a pretty remarkable rise, huh? He's the, most, he's the highest paid coach in the conference, right? Yes, uh, well, well, technically because Patino's leaving, yes. Yeah, right, Josh right. Pastor makes $2.65 million at Memphis, and I believe tax returns showed, I read this in a, sto- in a profile of Larry Brown, that if you prorated what he made from the, like in the year, whenever he took the, the SMU job from that month, so it would have been like March or April, whenever, let's call it April. If you prorate it out, it would have gone up to like $2.8 million. I don't really know if Larry Brown makes $2.8 million a year, but it is, it's a substantial amount of money. Um, so you got Josh at 265, Larry at, let's just say around two and a half, some, or maybe more, but nobody's cracking $3 million except Kevin Ollie. That's just, I mean, listen, I think the, the deal with Ollie is this. Um, People don't expect him to be at the college level for a decade or even a half decade. Maybe we'll see what he can do at that program, recruiting his own guys uh, and not having a Shabazz Napier type player. Hey, go get paid, make that money. Um, you know, there were clearly some some interest at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Ali has has done a remarkable job in just in merely getting paid because what he did was truly incredible. The fact that UConn won the title, I still have to kind of remind myself of that because it just the what they did with I thought was just absolutely remarkable um but you're paying Kevin Ollie now are you paying him for what he just did what you think or hope that he can do to try and keep him around as long as possible is it ultimately worth it if you're UConn I, I guess probably uh but if you if you're asking me right now is Kevin Ollie coaching UConn in on May 21st 2018 
I think I'm inclined to say no. Or what if I said May 21st, 2016? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would also say no. You'd say no? I think think that might be fair there. When you are a former NBA player who is a successful, at least according to, you know, people will say, hey, he was impressive, not just with the way he motivated, but with the way he actually coached. Like, he coached good games in that NCAA tournament. Well, on a big stage, he looked like a basketball coach. Connecticut played like a basketball team that was well coached. And the idea that you could get Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright to play, uh, you know, on a basketball team. Because do you remember when the, I, I remember. When they hated each other. <laughs> well, that, but like, I remember the first time they ever played together. Like, I, it feels like it, maybe it was 2011. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I guess it was then. And like, so Boatwright was ineligible for a while. And then maybe like it was in um, the Bahamas or that. One of those, one of those, it feels like it was one of those Thanksgiving ish type tournaments. And I just remember watching the first game of Ryan Boatwright and Shabazz, and I was like, my God, these guys are a lot of fun to watch, but they are completely out of control, right? Yeah. So the idea that you could mold that into a basketball team that looks like a well coached basketball team, like, it, like it, Kevin checks a lot of boxes. So former NBA player, young, people like him, uh, can, can obviously coach. He proved that this year. And then, his relationship with Kevin Durant, which may or may not be overstated, but it does exist. And the idea that Kevin Durant is someday going to be looking for a new home, I think either Oklahoma City hires him someday or somebody trying to lure Kevin Durant hires him someday. It's possible. I wonder what Ollie's uh, Q rating, his, his his overall reputation going forward, is, is this as high as it gets? Or, you know, well, that's, that's why I think he would go, if he's going to go to the NBA, it's going to be within the next two years, like right. like GP said, just because his, his Q rating, as you said, like it's never going to be higher than it is right now. It's, it's very it, high. But if he's if he's able to do it, like if two years from now, he's gotten UConn back to two more tournaments, made an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16, like it'll still be pretty high concerning what he's done there. So I think there's a chance that he could he could still keep it uh, where it is. But as it is right now, Kevin Ollie has maintained UConn to be a top five national program. I don't think that's arguable because they have the most titles in a in a 15 year run with four. They have a new practice facility. Um, they're set up to potentially be the kings of that conference, even though it is a conference that's not obviously what the Big East used to be. So the challenge, I guess, big picture is for Ollie to keep UConn on that sort of track. I don't think that that's reasonable, but I think what is reasonable is to is to have Ollie continue to have Connecticut make tournaments and, and be a threat to at least win a couple of games. Now, forever, however long he wants to do that remains to be seen because I do think when you have this much around him in terms of talk and how respected he is at the NBA level, how you would assume that he'll want to go and have that challenge at some point, you're not going to turn down that kind of money and that kind of opportunity if people are lining up for it. I think it's just a matter of time. So uh, good on him. And, and just a, a quick aside, I know Goodman had mentioned this on Twitter, but if Ollie had actually been hired um, by by some sort of NBA team, do we think that Calhoun actually would have stepped back in there, even if for a short term? Do we think that would have been an, a realistic possibility? It, it he would have definitely tried. Yeah. I think, oh, I think and, wouldn't, the, and then and then the how thought, wild? Yeah. I mean, and then think about how nuts that would. Be. <laughs> oh, be it would ridiculous. be crazy. And you know what? At at, at UConn, I pro- I wouldn't even say like. I don't know, like whatever. Like it's such a the whole thing's been weird, and they've it obviously navigated they've obviously navigated it well. Like you've said, they've got all these national championships. So uh, even if they're doing things in an unconventional way, um, it's it still seems yeah. to be working. And so uh, I, I'll tell you that I don't know if UConn would have signed off on it. I just I have no idea. But but would Jim Calhoun have tried to angle for that? 
without like I have a great idea of that and it's yeah. and it's a hundred percent sure Actually, absolutely man, just, UConn's a weird place man but hey more power to them for what they've done <laughs> more power to them before we break this thing off like we, we were honestly but when we decided to do this today we were like you know we could probably get 25 30 minutes out of whatever yeah. and now here we are 40 <laughs> we're like minutes. 35 40 minutes in right right 40 <laughs> minutes in we spent a lot of time talking about the sexiest coaches in college yeah, basketball like, so that was worth it the NBA draft lottery was last night, and I know that's got nothing to do with college basketball, but it has got a lot to do with college guys that we all know well from having watched and covered them over the past year, if not longer, uh, given that we're also on the summer circuit watching these kids literally grow up before our eyes. Um, Cleveland Cavaliers won the lottery again. If you're picking number one, Norlander, who are you taking? Okay, if I'm Cleveland and I'm picking one, I take Wiggins. I I I think he would be the best fit. I just uh, I don't see why you would go against Wiggins in this regard because I don't trust seven footers who have had a back problem. There's just too many guys that have been taken and that haven't been worth it long term. I know Embiid is a huge temptation, but personally, I would go with Wiggins. I like Parker a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm going Wiggins. I, I, just, I just think Wiggins' ceiling is is just so much higher than Parker. And, and I was talking this with, about this with Gary before the podcast. I think Jabari's going to be a you know a borderline All Star, top twenty, twenty five player for the next twelve, thirteen, fourteen years, average twenty two a game. I just don't think he can be like I think Wiggins can be a top five NBA player. And I just don't think Parker has that ceiling. And to me, you know, mm. Cleveland's Cleveland has some pieces right now. You know, I I don't think they need Jabari Parker to you know they don't need a guy to come in and average twenty one next year. I think that they can have Wiggins in, in three, four, five years. I just think the difference between him and Parker is going to just continue to grow. I would take <sighs> Wiggins, all right? Yeah. I, I don't actually – I think his upside is more than Jabari's, but I don't – I'm not ready to put a ceiling on Jabari. Like if we look up in a – you know, I, I don't think this. I would. I like, Par- I like Parker a lot. I like him too. Okay, I like – I, I think he's going to be a, t- a top 20 NBA player. I don't think he's going to be a bad player. Right. Here's what I would say. If, if you told me, if you could guarantee me, like, if you were my doctor and I trusted you and you came to me and, and said, Joel Embiid, has, do, not let, do not let the back stuff factor in at all. He's going to be healthy for the next 10 years, barring something freakishly happening. I would be very tempted to draft Joel Embiid. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah. but, but I can't trust that. You know, like, I just can't. Men, big men just break down. Like, I just, yeah, I get it. I, I will but. tell you this. I was talking to somebody from Kansas late in the season. And, you know, you're trying to figure out, so how's Joel doing? You know, is he, is he really, can he really return for the Sweet 16? And I was told by this person, this person said, there are days when he looks great, and then there are days where he's just, like, walking down the hall, and he looks like he's 80 years old. Like, and, oh, God. And, and all I could think of is, like, that's what people said about Greg Oden. You know, yeah. like, and, and I know Odin stuff has been different or whatever, but that, that injuries on a seven foot frame at the age of 19 are, are scary. And so, um, to me, when, when you combine the Wiggins upside with the just question marks surrounding Joel, um, I think it's gotta be Wiggins by default. Um, but I, I will tell you this, talking to people at Kansas, if you told them, if you presented a multiple choice to, to people who, should know Joel and, and Andrew uh, better than anybody because they were around him for the past year. If you said neither one of them will miss a game because of injury for the next decade, as unlikely and impossible as that likely, is. Yeah. If neither one of them have any health issues for the next 10 years, who would you rather have? 
the overwhelming majority of those people at Kansas, and by all means, you guys correct me if you think I'm wrong, but this is the feedback I got. They say Joel Embiid. Yeah. If, if you're presenting that information in a vacuum, then yes, you would take Embiid, but there's just no guarantee. GP, I have a question for you, because mm-hmm. you, and this is a little, just a little bit deeper in the draft, so you have Noah Vonley ahead of Randall now. Yes. I, I don't get this. I, I am I, I'm super high on Randall. Like, I, love, I would have Randall four, and I'm telling you, I would debate taking, you guys will both disagree i would debate taking randall over mb because i love what randall can do i think he's nba ready i know he needs to work on going right a little bit but i'm not understanding why randall is seen in that seven eight range now and why vonley who was solid don't get me wrong and i know that he has massive hands why are you liking vonley now more even if it's only one pick than randall yeah again it's one pick and if somebody said oh it's got to be randall over vonley like i don't think that's the dumbest thing in the world like if you're trying to draft uh, Jeremy Grant over Randall, then we're gonna have, we gotta talk for a minute, right? Yeah. But I mean, Vonley, Randall, like whatever. I, I think they're, uh, I have them, you know, separated by no spots. They're, I think, what five and six in my mock draft. Um, I think it would just go back to upside. I think if you get the best version of Noah Vonley you could possibly yep. get, and the best version of Julius Randall you could possibly get, I think the Noah Vonley best version is better than the Julius Randle best version. Now, the problem... Well, Vonley can step out and, and shoot. He can knock down shots on the perimeter. I think Randle can't do that. I think Randle's more NBA-ready, but I think, like you said, I think Vonley You like Vonley more, too. Ah, yeah. man, I don't, I don't like Vonley long-term. I don't know. Okay. I, yeah, now, again, he might just turn into a guy, right? That, this stuff happens yeah. all of the time. Like, it's just like you look at somebody, you go, oh, my God, he's going to be great. And, then you, you know, he just never develops and doesn't turn into anything. And that's sort of the... Uh, that's mm-hmm. why people get fired and people get extensions. It's all based on this stuff. But... um I think when you're picking toward the top of the draft, I'm not going to say across the board, but but more often than not, you should you should probably look. This is at least the way I would look. I would say if I get the best version of this person who exists, who's the best player? And if I'm going overall, I think at this point it's Andrew Wiggins. If I'm picking between Randall and Vonleh, though I do think Randall is the safer pick because I don't think there's any way Julius Randall's a bust. He's, he's physically imposing. I impo- totally agree. I don't think there's any way he's a bust. And here's why. Because he's physically imposing and he plays hard. If you are physically imposing and you play hard, you are not going to be a bust. That's like people, people were always talking about Joe Kim Noah. And I recognize these are two totally different players. But they were like, well, can he do this? Can he do that? He's physically imposing and he plays hard. He'll figure it. He'll be fine. And he has turned Joe has turned out to be way better than just fine. Like he's a MVP candidate. And so I think if you have those two things, like a physical, the physical, or let me put it the other way, you do not lack, or you do not, you're not hindered by physical limitations, and you really play hard. I think it's damn near impossible to not be a relevant NBA player. And and Julius Randle is those things, right? So I do not think there's any way he's a bust. But if you give me the best version, and maybe I'm wrong, we'll find out. But if you give me the best version of Noah Vonley and the best version of Julius Randle, I think that the better version is the Noah Vonley version, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's interesting. The Vonley stuff has, uh, has ramped up in the past uh, month and a half or two, and we usually get that with one or two guys, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I say we wrap this up. I think we actually lost Borzello on the call. Who cares? I mean, we're wrapping up now. Anyway, <laughs> hey, hey so. who ca- how could we ever tell? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. We have kept everybody long enough, so uh, let's get out of here. I appreciate you guys being here at CBSSports.com, listening to the podcast, reading what we write, interacting with us on tri- Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. It's on iTunes. Quickest way to get the newest edition. Uh, make sure to do that, and we will talk to you a little later on this offseason. I promise 
Till then, take care of yourselves.